can't wait to tell you who put their name on the next crypto sports arena. I'm super excited about this, David. I know you're smiling too. I know you're excited. <laughs> I know. I, know. I kind of want to skip right there, but it, it's, it goes in the news section. Happy Friday morning, Bankless Nation. It is the last week of March, or is it the first week of April? I'm not too sure, David, but I do know one thing. It is time for what? The Bankless Weekly Roll-Up, Ryan, where we cover the entire news in the last week in crypto, which is always an ambitious endeavor, yet we persevere nonetheless, covering everything that happened in the markets, the news, what's going on, uh, the the NFT shenanigans, the regulation shenanigans. We cover it all here on the Friday Bankless Weekly Roll-Up. Absolutely. Fastest way to get your crypto digest and some hot stuff, hot topics this week. It's going to be a fun week. It's going to be a fun week. Look, we got to talk about more crypto companies putting their names on sports stadiums. Okay? Who could that be? That's (laughs) happening. Who could that be? (laughs) April 1st, it's happening. Mm -hmm. We're going to tell you about the biggest one yet. I think this is is bigger than FTX. I think this is bigger than Mm Crypto.com. This is the biggest one yet, and we can't wait to tell you who put their name on the next crypto sports arena. I'm super excited about this, David. I know you're smiling too. I know you're excited. <laughs> I know. I, know. I kind of want to skip right there, but it, it's, it goes <laughs> in the news section. Uh, it's not the biggest in terms of deals, in terms of money deals, but it's the biggest in terms of culture, I would say. Uh, I, I totally agree with that. Also, yeah. uh, one of the biggest hacks, maybe, in crypto mm-hmm. history, uh, the Ronin sidechain. There was an exploit. So this was a $600 million plus hack. We got to cover that. What Oof. happened? What went wrong? Are sidechains really safe? What does this mean for uh, Axie Infinity, of course, because that's the, the Ronin sidechain. Also, David, there are so many misconceptions out there about two things. Number one, the Ethereum merge. Number two, proof of stake. We're going to lay those misconceptions to rest and also talk about traditional finance institutions waking up to the merge, waking up to proof of stake. Lots of reports there. So a number of things to cover. I'm excited to dive in. Dave, before we get there, we should talk a little bit about uh, Permissionless. This yes, is a conference, yes. and we are uh, getting closer and closer. I think we're like two months away. Is that correct? Yeah, the, the drum roll for Permissionless is getting louder and louder. May 17th to 19th, Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, it's just going to be insanely fun. This is gearing up to be a reunion of the Bankless podcast and also so many more uh, guests and panelists and speakers, some insane content. Uh, all of your favorite Bankless previous podcast guests are going to be there. Justin Drake, Chris Dixon, Nick Carter, Eric Peters, uh, who's a, a huge in the regu- in the traditional finance world. We had him on the podcast. Jiho from Axie, of course. Jake Stravinsky for all the people who are trying to get t- downloaded with the uh, legal and regulatory side of the crypto industry. Ryan Selkis, of course. What would a, a conference be without him? Stani from Ave just had him on the show. Uh, it's, it's going to be the who's who of crypto events uh, smack in the middle of the year, May 17th to 19th at in Miami or in, in Palm Beach, Florida. Bankless is throwing a party. I'm going to be there vibing. Ryan and I are going to meet for the first time. The number of things that is going to happen at Permissionless is off the charts. There's not even enough time to talk about it here. So you got to get your ticket. Uh, there is a link in the show notes to so go get your ticket. If you are a Bankless Premium subscriber, you get 30% off, which pays for your entire Bankless Premium for the year. So there you go for that. Uh, and you got to come. You got to come. It's going to be a huge event. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, Ryan. I know you're excited for Permissionless. Why are you excited Dude, for Permissionless? I, I'm excited to meet you, David. That, that's why. That's really why I'm going. Well, the conference is cool and everything, but like, let's uh, let's finally meet in person. Yeah, and, I guess. Uh, hope I the, guess. Hope the hope the podcast doesn't end as a result of that. <laughs> um, 
David, something else going on. Our friends at Consensus on the NFT side wanted to give the Bankless Nation a heads up. So on April 10th, it is National Youth HIV AIDS Awareness Day. And MAC, M-A-C, the makeup company, is actually releasing an NFT collection. This is going to be powered by Consensus NFT. It's going to be dropping on April the 10th. uh, And it's featuring art by Keith Herring. The cool thing about this, I think, is some of you listening have kind of dabbled around in NFTs, haven't really gotten into it, but this is an opportunity for the NFT, the first time buyers of NFTs, to get a cool NFT and also support a great cause. Because all of the proceeds of this NFT actually go 100% to support youth impacted by HIV and AIDS. And this is in two forms. So one, the initial purchase price of the NFT, and then because NFTs are so badass, every resale of that NFT, 2.5%, also goes to the cause of HIV and AIDS and the youth impacted by it. There's three rarity levels. So there's like a bottom tier of like just $25 NFT uh, all the way up to $1,000 NFT at the rarest level, only 25 of those. And all of these, of course, are, uh, are super scarce. The art is not released yet. Okay, it's not released yet. I can't wait to see what these look like. But um, if you want to partake in this, at least check it out. What you got to do is go sign up. Uh, I've got the the website in front of me right now, but a a quick link to that would be bankless.cc slash M-A-C, capital M, capital A, capital C. That'll get you there right away. Uh, I'm going to pick up one of these, David, because it's a good cause, man. In Vitalik's uh, blog post about legitimacy, he talked about ways that NFT projects can gain legitimacy, and it was through donating to causes. Uh, We saw this with People Pleaser's effort in her NFTs, like some portion of the proceeds going to uh, charity to establish legitimacy. 100% of the revenue is going to this charity. So, extremely legitimate? I think is how the conclusion I to think that. So. Yeah. Very legitimate. Very legitimate. Yeah. <laughs> and this is cool to see companies partaking in this mm-hmm. too. So it's, it's also a crypto saturation story. Uh, a lot of wins here for everyone. Um, speaking of wins, mm. Are we getting wins in the market, David? Let's let's flip to market stuff. Bitcoin price, any wins there on the week? Yeah, we got we got some wins. We started the uh, the start of the week at forty three thousand dollars, hit a high of forty eight thousand dollars, of which it almost was at the time of recording. Except in the last like hour or so, we tanked. We tanked from forty seven and a half down to forty five point seven thousand dollars. Still though, Ryan up seven percent on the week, maybe a little bit less, maybe like six point five percent. It's a good week. It was a good week. It's been a good month. It's been a good month. It's been a really good month. Like, yeah. look at this. Uh, and I'll take it. I have uh, to say, the, 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 start of this the, year. the bearish David weekly roll-up, which people have definitely tapped into and have been teasing me about uh, so far, some people, has painted the bottom. <laughs> look, some people are calling that a top signal, David. I hate to break it to you, man, but ugh. What, what's a top signal? You mean a bottom signal? The top sig- signal of you, uh, excuse me, bottom sorry. Signal. B- bottom signal. Yes. Bottom signal of yeah. you being bearish. I'm on, sorry. For the it, first time ever you, on a roll-up, you, you go bearish. B- you go back three to four weeks, and you look <laughs> at the fundamentals of the macro market and tell me how, it's in, how hard it was was to be bullish in that moment like give me a break it was difficult some of us managed to do it though okay david (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about eth price uh hopefully we're going up too are we yes yes yes, indeed yes indeed started the week at three thousand fifty dollars hit a high of three thousand four hundred and fifty dollars up four hundred dollars for the peak but also has kind of retraced 
in the last few hours here. Uh, we always record these on Thursday morning, Thursday, March 31st, uh, down, or excuse me, up 9% on the week, down like 2 or 3% in the last hour to where we are now at roughly about 3,300. Ryan, you're showing the Bitcoin price chart uh, just FYI. Oh, am I? Yeah. Oops. Um, Let me flip that uh, ether. Here there we go. go. There you go. Yeah, so, so chopping around, had a really bullish week, uh, kind of retraced a little bit just now, but again, up 9% on the week. Yeah, I was looking at, I was just looking at the shape of the chart and I was like, that looks a lot like Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how about the ratio? Ratio. To Bitcoin ratio. Ratio up, up to uh, about 2.2% 2. Uh, 2 on the week. Uh, started last week at 0. 0.07. We are up to 0. 0.0717. Uh, 2%, up 2%. Um, so that means I am, I'm 2% more bullish. Yes, how about you? That's, that's about right. That's about right. Uh, there's <laughs> also, a bull market signal. We, we got some, some candy charts to show. Uh, in the Ooh. market Monday this week, uh, put a bunch of charts into the, the, the newsletter. And there's just this same pattern that you see across the three most important charts in crypto in my mind, which is Bitcoin, Ether, and the ETH BTC ratio. Uh, starting all the way back, to, I guess I think this, this chart starts, it really gets bullish in the start of 2021, where Bitcoin zoomed from like $20,000 up to almost $70,000. And it, then it went from 70, went down to 36. From 36, went back up to 70, you know, ish. I'm, I'm kind of rounding these numbers here. And then after it hit like 69, the high of $69,000, it then went back down to $36,000. But now it is again retracing, bouncing off that bottom. So there's a channel here uh, with higher highs and higher lows over time. That has, this is a one year long channel. And the same channel is seen in the Ether price. If you scroll down to the Ether price, it's, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Higher highs over time, higher lows over time, over a really long time frame. This is like an 18 month long uh, channel. But we bounce right off of that bottom. And like, if you can just, if, if this channel is something to take guidance from, like what is the current top of the channel? Like for Bitcoin, it's $75,000. For Ether, it's $55,200. And the same channel you can see in the ETH BTC ratio. And so if you scroll down once again, Ryan, uh, you can see, uh, yeah, just a little bit more. Uh, it's, it's there too. And so like what happens if the ETH PTC ratio bounces, which it did off the floor of like 0 0.06, 0 0.055 as the absolute bottom. Again, higher lows and higher highs. What if it goes up to 0 0.09 where the top of the channel is like, hmm, hmm. Question what mark. happened to bearish data, David? <laughs> He's nowhere to be seen. It, it that bounced. guy's gone. It bounced. Well, like Putin, Putin is absolutely effed. He's got no options. Like Ukraine's fundamentally winning. There's that, like peace talks. There's like peace talks. Week. Like commodity prices are coming down. All of is. the bearish reasons have dissipated. Uh, and so, like, I, I, if you were the person that bought into the fear, congratulations, that worked out for you. Look, my. Uh my co-host just makes decisions based on the data and the data has changed, right? Yeah, Information changed. coming data's has changed. changed. Macro looking a bit mm -hmm. brighter. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know about like the Fed and inflation though. I don't know if that's changed. That, that data point still feels a little bit bearish, but. But look, the, the question there is, does that even matter though? Well, like, sometimes it doesn't matter. Maybe maybe heavy inflation is actually good for crypto. Do you want to store your value in, in dollars or do you want to right. store it in uh, crypto assets that mm. have nice channels like this? Mm -hmm. um, Let's talk about the bed index. So that's a third, a third, a third. We must be up on the week. It looks like we are. Bigly, yeah. Actually, this is up more than Bitcoin and Ether. DeFi won the week this week, uh, up 11%. Started the week at uh, $107, ending the week at $128. So DeFi leading the way this week. You ready to call it DeFi season? 
Oh God, no! Yeah, I would not ever. <laughs> I'm cursed, <laughs> cursed. <laughs> how about uh, how about uh, ETH gas? That's always fun to talk about on a weekly basis. We up or down? Yeah, gas prices are up on the week, and the last week the average was 22 guay for the week. We are up to 40, up to 40 average gas for the week. So gas markets are up again, which is a bullish indicator. It's always funny to me because I don't know how to feel about gas prices rising because uh, at one level, I'm like, oh, man, my Ether transactions going up. At the, mm-hmm. the same time, it's like also a bull market signal. Right, right. ETH yeah. block space more valuable. Ethereum's not like dead revenue, yet. Yeah. Yeah, re- revenue going to staking in the future, bullish for Ether, the asset. So I'm always of a uh, divided mind uh, with respect to that. And I think the market is too. Yeah. The market can't figure out whether high ETH gas prices are good for Ether or bad for Ether. Right, it's like people calling it in uh, either direction. Hmm. Um, I, I say market sentiment. I think market analysis is definitely when gas prices are up, ether value is going up. I think that's pretty strongly correlated. I think that's a. I think that's yes, and I think that's a that's a bankless thesis as well. That yeah. like on the main chain, gas fees have to continue to increase yeah. over time. Right, in. Uh, transaction fees will decrease in layer two, but they have to continuously increase in uh, on Ethereum mainnet. And that is actually, exactly, thumbs up, thumbs up. Yeah, exactly, one, one direction or the other. And that is actually the bull case for Ether, the asset. Right. Uh, when you run the numbers, when it becomes a capital asset. Anyway, we'll get to more of that later. But uh, let's talk about some other market news. Uh, one is that Anchor, which is a DeFi protocol money on market. Terra, money market, money market mm-hmm. borrowing and lending. So similar to Comp, sim- similar to uh, Ave Compound or Ave, it just topped Ave, leapfrogged Ave with 14 billion in total locked value. You can see it here on DeFi Llama. So there's Ave, there's Anchor, only only Maker is higher. Lido and, and Curve, those are the three DeFi protocols that are higher than Anchor at this point. And this is all coming off of um, this. Terra explosion, this mm-hmm. UST explosion mm-hmm. that is uh, Terra's stablecoin UST. And of course, the last two weeks we've been talking about how Doquan and the Terra ecosystem is planning to backstop this algorithmic stablecoin rather than being backstopped by the meme narrative price of uh, the Luna token, backstopping it with billions of dollars of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And that process has started with these Bitcoin buys. I put this tweet out there because I feel like this is a, a conversation we need to have on Bankless. Is Terra UST the future of crypto money? Or is it a ticking time bomb waiting to explode? I think those are two sides right. of the spectrum. Maybe the truth is in the middle. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, but I feel like that's an episode we need to have, David. And uh, I think we have some guests lined up yep. for that. We're in the process of doing that. So hopefully, an episode next week on this topic. Yeah, Wednesday. Wednesday, we're gonna we're gonna okay. figure it out. We're gonna we're gonna get get the right guests. We're gonna have one bull versus one bear. We already have had multiple very qualified people, very intelligent people, well informed people, to raise their hands saying they want to argue either for the bull or the bear side. So we're gonna pick out the best candidates, throw them into a Zoom together, uh, and they're gonna fight. Let's see what happens. And they're gonna fight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so that's gonna happen on Wednesday. Um, and, you know, just some comments, Ryan, like <laughs> Doquan on Twitter has been like, I'm going to call it Icarusing. Uh, he's been Icarusing pretty hard. Uh, and like, he's been kind of a bully. Like this has been something that, that people have noticed. It's like Doquan's being a bully on Twitter. And it has been uh, as, as a function, it seems to be as a function of Terra price, Luna price. As, as Luna goes up, Doquan gets even more confident. Just, um, yeah. I think I think he's Icarusing, man. I think I think this is like there's so many top signals right now for Terra. But what do I what do I know? I'm just an ETH maxi. 
So there, there, there is a thing called uh, bull market goggles. I think, and yeah. when like your your price has exploded in the in the way that mm-hmm. it has, it's hard not to let that, um, you know, f- make you feel like you have this sense of mm-hmm. uh, invincibility. But look, this panel is is for us to really di- discover this this mm-hmm. bear in bull markets to understand a bit more about the USC ecosystem, the arguments on both sides. I'm always worried about algorithmic stablecoins, yeah. just in general. It's yeah. because like all of the past experiments have failed if i had explosion sound on my soundboard i would have played it by now they have right in in various ways and maybe this time it's different if it is different let's try to understand how and i do think that there are models for successful models for algorithmic stable coins out Mm -hmm. there um it's just let's see i prefer the ones that are maximally trustless yeah uh when we're doing that and and uh certainly transparent anyway we're going to dive into this and hopefully surface both sides of the argument for you guys in bankless so so we can all learn together and see if uh this is icarus or if this is like the the next new thing and Mm -hmm. this time it's different one last comment on this uh uh, ryan pop quiz who was the last extremely confident person on twitter uh, uh, do kwan put out a tweet by my hand die will die as in die from maker dow uh you know he just wants to have ust be the the perfect decentralized trustless stable coin to to dominate the market so he tweets out by my hand die will die so pop quiz who is the last uh extremely confident aggro builder on crypto twitter to uh talk negatively about maker dow well that that's got to be danny uh sesta yeah and what happened three weeks later (laughs) i mean i don't know where's danny (laughs) come on the podcast (laughs) i don't know where he is i don't know where Uh the frogs are um yeah it does i'm feeling a little bit of that energy yeah right maybe mm-hmm. it's different look there are some like personalities that are just like that you know the elon musk of the world mm-hmm. he's actually like building things but we'll have to see we want to unpack this a little bit more another similarity um, is that doquan also has an invitation out in his twitter dms to come on bankless which he has not yet replied to so there's that well we'll see uh DeFi pulse index the dpi yes, this is huge okay this, this is, is huge this is an index put together by a DeFi protocol uh called index co-op mm-hmm. uh we're big fans of it dpi is actually part of the bed index as well it's an assortment of the top blue chip DeFi assets on ethereum it was just listed by gemini as yeah. a coin mm-hmm. so uh along with you know index itself and maple and frax and some other coins they are listing the first DeFi index. And I think, David, this is the first DeFi index to be listed on an exchange. Pretty big milestone here. Yeah, this is something that the index co-op and just DeFi in general has really been looking for for a really, really long time. It's hard to get liquidity and demand for DPI, the DeFi index, when it's stuck inside of DeFi, De, uh, in, in stuck inside of DeFi. Like you have to actually go buy it on Uniswap, which means you have to take self custody of it. Uh, a lot of people want indices products like DPI, but they also want it to be inside of their centralized exchange with centralized custody. Uh, and, and DPI has been around for over a year now and hasn't been able to break into the centralized exchange uh, marketplace uh, for for reasons. Uh, there there is some like risk involved because in theory, like the index co op can just change everything about the dpi so there's some there's some risk involved for centralized exchanges to list this that's why it's been slow but finally we're getting the dpi into gemini so hats off to gemini thank you for getting that guy. we love you love you guys uh and just like come on let's 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 get more going because there's let's a go. lot let's all let's, let's list them all just list them i all. mean look a, a year old but that this does does also demonstrate like lindy effect mm-hmm. in uh indexes right like you wouldn't necessarily as an exchange want to 
list an index product that's like two months old, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like 60 days into this thing. Right. You have to give it some time to work out the kinks, right. figure out what it's doing. And and I think DPI has reached that point. So it should be a mainstay, right? Mm-hmm. Gemini lists it. All the other exchanges are going to have to compete to list it. Really cool that DeFi products are breaking in here. Um, let's talk about Germany for a second. Almost <laughs> half of Germans are now invested in crypto. Uh, hats off to Germany, the richest country in Europe. Okay. Yeah. And this is great. Like, um, I think once you get 50% of your population, and this is like 44%, almost 50%, it's kind of over for anti-crypto regulators. It's kind of over because like the people are speaking with their wallets, they're voting with their wallets and they're saying, we want crypto. Mm -hmm. And so if you try to push through anti-crypto legislation, you're going to have a much stiffer resistance than when you tried to do that in the first decade of crypto, when everyone thought it was like scam money and only 1% of the population owned it. So to me, the most bullish thing is for crypto to A, be understood, as we've said before, but B, to be owned. That is super bullish. <laughs> so easy. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Uh, Germany and, and uh, really Europe at, at large has always been, I think, a little bit ahead of the curve. A lot of a lot of uh, developers in, in Germany. So very strong, like, uh, just community there. Um, so cool. You like yeah, it? it's cool. Like I it. uh, wish we could get there in the U.S. I don't think we're at 50% yet, but this no. is cool. This, this might take us there, stuff like this. This is RAC, yeah. Grammy award-winning artist, had him on bank list before. Do you want to read out this tweet, David? Yeah, he goes, I've personally made 12.5 ETH, about $40,000, which is equivalent to almost 10 million plays on Spotify. <laughs> RAC would have needed 10 million plays on Spotify to make $40,000, and he just made 12.5 ETH in his uh, you know, number of drops. If you scroll up, Ryan, it'll show up what he's talking about. Uh, but like his NFT drop on Sound XYZ made 10 ETH, 100 additions for 0.1 each. Uh, 0.1 ETH each for three, uh, $310 a piece. Uh, and so in addition to royalties on top of that, 2.5 ETH in royalties, this would have taken him 10 million plays on Spotify. Now, I am a huge uh, RAC fan. And so, and I'm actually, just, since I already have Spotify up, I'm going to go to RAC on Spotify. And we're going to see how many plays that he got on his number one song, 44 million plays uh, on his number one song. Uh, and so that is, and so he's got a number of, uh, and he's only had three songs above 10 million plays each. Uh, and, and that took years for him to establish those plays. And he did this in mere minutes. Uh, NFTs and crypto and just tokens and decentralized, trustless, programmatic finance, putting money into the hands of artists. Yeah, this is super cool. He said he said this too on the tweet. So yes, a hundred people generated more income than nine point seven five million users. Let that sink in. This harkens back to our conversation we had, and I would encourage listeners to go listen to it if you haven't with Lee Jin, where she talked about forget the a thousand true fans thing. A hundred true true fans yeah. can make you for you in NFT. So like, you you can have a narrow fan base of the most hundred, like the the hundred most passionate people about the thing you're creating, completely fund everything you're doing as a creator. Totally. Because these are sort of like the most passionate individuals who are willing to spend any amount, and not just spend this amount, but actually invest this amount in you because they believe in you. Mm-hmm. This is the power of NFTs in the creator economy, and I think that's what RAC is saying here and demonstrating. 
Uh, and we, there's also, we, we did a show with RAC, Meet the Nation. If you guys want to meet Andre, great guy, great music. Listen to his music in college. Um, and then also uh, the, the episodes that we did with Blau also come to mind if you guys are interested in the subject matter. Super smart guy, both of them. Uh, Aztecs roll up. They this just is crossed hot. This is hot. 200, no, sorry, 20K ETH in deposits shielded. What mm-hmm. is Aztec? Why is this hot? Yeah, so Aztec is a layer two privacy roll up. It also has a layer one smart contract system, but this is, I believe, yeah, this is the layer two. 20,000 Ether is now in Aztec shielded. So that's 20,000 shielded Ether, as in private Ether. This is basically like to take Zcash, the blockchain, but make it into a layer two. That's basically what this is. Uh, and there's some, some other uh, smart contract functioning as well. Uh, and so, like, this is like Tornado Cash, but even better using ZK technology to have private Ether transactions which sounds like we're going to be needing even more and more as we go into this highly authoritarian future that we kind of see ahead of us. Uh, so, like, to, remember, uh, Ryan, last, I think it was last week or maybe the week before, but we were talking about uh, Elizabeth Warren being super cringe when she was asking uh, somebody in Congress, I'm hearing about, like, if you have these cross-chain bridges, can't you just obfuscate all the ether? And, like, she was making the point that, like, crypto is making it easy to obfuscate, but, like, she was getting her details wrong about how, like, crossing bridges are obfuscated. Anyways, it was super cringe. She was trying to paint a narrative. The thing I'm a little bit concerned about, Ryan, is like what she was looking for. She was attacking. She was attacking the wrong source. What she thinks it crypto, all of crypto is, is what Aztec is building. <laughs> and so, like, this is a regulator's worst fear: is private layer twos that has complete assurances as to privacy and ownership and payments. Uh, so, like, once regulators get their minds around zk technology, which is going to take a while, uh, I'm a little bit worried that they're actually going to have some real fodder to to fight. All right, but here's the it. problem: Why in the world is it regulators' worst fear that citizens actually have privacy? on their crypto assets. They don't have access to a list of all of the physical property I own. They don't know how much cash I have in my wallet, in my physical wallet, Mm -hmm. or gold bars I might have in a vault somewhere in my basement, okay? Uh, But they need to know everything about my digital transactions. Yes, they do. This is like, the problem is establishing this as a norm, Mm -hmm. like an outrage norm that Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren and any politician has no right to be angry about privacy of crypto transactions. We need to like bust through that as a norm. Like it's absolutely ludicrous, authoritarian and ridiculous that like, Free private speech in the form of money on the internet would be a thing that's controversial mm-hmm. in any Western democratic country. Right. Grant. <laughs> you, you, you don't need to convince me, Ryan. I'm sorry. Just saying, that the that nation wasn't for state you. Is not that was for like me. <laughs> I'm not saying that for bankless listeners either. I just needed to say that. Hey, you're, you're totally right. That should be the approach. I have zero yeah. faith that that's going to be the approach. Exactly. <laughs> Same here. This is why we need to be active, guys. Right. We'll get to that when we get to the regulatory section. But first, man, we're going to talk about the sponsors. And when we get back, oh, we got to talk about that breaking news. This is happening. Mm-hmm. Arenas being purchased by crypto companies. We're going to get right into it. Before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. All right, guys, we are back with the releases <laughs> of the week. This is, a, this is a hot release, David. It's been, it's been a long time coming, Ryan. Look, I feel like we should just maybe get right to the press release mm-hmm, here mm-hmm. because this just dropped this morning, mm-hmm. this morning, okay? Mm-hmm. For Save April, this morning. Wells Fargo Arena is now the bankless arena. David, do you want to read this press release here? Yeah, the arena for the Philadelphia Flyers and the 76ers 
is the, that arena in Philadelphia is now Bankless Arena. We got it. <laughs> we got the name. <laughs> we did it. The Bankless Arena. Okay, first FTX did it, mm -hmm. then Crypto.com, now Bankless. We are just taking it back from, from the Wells banks. Fargo. We don't. We didn't care about any other arena, but it was the Wells Fargo Arena that their naming rights happened to have ended this year. And so we submitted the bid. We, we won the bid. Uh, we was one. It's not the biggest naming rights deal. We don't have. We don't have FTX money. We don't have Crypto.com money. But you know, we we were early to ETH. We have some money. Uh, and, there you so, go. and so, and uh, so, <laughs> Wells Fargo Arena now Bankless Arena. Uh, sick, uh, sick as sick as f. Sick as f. Yep. Uh, last minute bid as well. Citadel CEO Ken Griffin yeah. tried to beat us out for this. The internet bit. That was a nail biter. Villain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, managed to do it. Guys, all of the details are here for you in the press release that we just published on Bankless. Mm -hmm. So we'll include a link to that. But look, this is more evidence that crypto is here to stay. You know, what, sh what should we get next? We, get, we got an arena. What's next? <laughs> oh, God. I don't know. Let's get a whole country. <laughs> Bank <laughs> Buy an island? Start with an yeah. island? The Bankless Island, mm -hmm. totally worth it. Hey, hey, congr right. congratulations, man. Like, pass on, pass yeah. on the back. Thank you to the Bankless community uh, and everyone that has listened to Bankless and all the sponsors for Bankless. Uh, we couldn't have done it without you. Uh, you know, this is crypto taking over. You know, we're, we're putting our names on places and, and Bankless is next up. Bank yeah. Bankless Thanks to SBF Bankless too, Arena, it just has a great ring to it. Yeah, I can't wait to see the Flyers play. Man, it's going to be awesome. I, I love sports. Uh, Anyway, we, we should we should move on, okay? Because that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, that's a big deal. But there are some other things that are happening in crypto as well. Apple Pay, mm -hmm. integrating with MetaMask. This is not a super big deal, but it feels like a big deal. Tell us about this. Yeah, so uh, this is an integration with Wire, W-Y-R-E, right into MetaMask. Uh, and Wire has this widget that allows you to buy, I think, up to like $500 worth of Ether uh, using Apple Pay. Uh, and now that's hooked right into MetaMask. So you can now get Apple Pay into MetaMask to buy uh, Ether uh, and other, other tokens uh, straight, from, uh, straight from your credit card, straight from your debit card using Apple Pay. Uh, and so this is, I think this is going to be especially useful for activities on Layer 2s because you know, $500 of Ether on the Layer 1 uh, isn't too useful. Um, but then things like gaming, where people don't really care about Ether or Ethereum, but they need to fund their wallet to play games, that's going to be really useful. This has always been what Wire has always been building for, towards. Uh, this integration has been, this uh, Apple Pay via Wire has been a thing for a while. It's just now it's in MetaMask. Yeah, it's cool. It's just greater access to fiat and onboarding that into crypto is awesome. Uh, OpenSea just added Solana NFTs this yeah. week. And of course, Solana NFTs shot up in price. Many of them, the, the floor prices have risen for sure. Uh, OpenSea calling this the best kept secret in Web3. Mm -hmm. uh, Multi-chain NFTs, that is a thing now. And OpenSea is supporting them, whether it's Arbitrum, Optimism, uh, Polygon, Solana, mm -hmm. Avalanche, NFTs everywhere on all of the chains seems to be the direction we're moving in. Yeah, OpenSea has just is just killing it on the execution layer. Kind of a bummer that uh, uh, Solana isn't EVM compatible, right? Because then you have to have an alternative wallet. Like I have my trustless state OpenSea account where everyone can go check out my NFTs and that's my Ethereum address for my NFTs. But that's a different wallet for my Solana wallet, which I don't have. Um, but if I did have one, it would be different just because it's not an EVM thing. But I'm, I'm assuming they're eventually going to integrate Avalanche and that will be the same wallet. Um, so things like that. But anyways, OpenSea, uh, blockchain agnostic, uh, integrating wherever there's NFT demand, as you would expect. 
uh, one of the features we were talking about earlier is like, how do we get privacy on chain? So we're talking about Aztec. Um, this is another interesting solution to privacy on chain. It's privacy. It's also identity. Polygon just un- unveiled an identity service that leverages ZK proofs. So this is the ability to check credentials of an individual Polygon user without revealing private information. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of useful. Uh, also, I think my take on this too is that some of these side chains, like like in ecosystems like Polygon, some of these layer twos, are going to compete by adding on interesting services, right? So this is like a layer two slash side chain adding identity as a service mm-hmm. on top of their chain. Of course, Ethereum doesn't have that natively baked into the protocol. Um, some some chains. Layer twos might decide to add oracles, for instance, price oracles. I think this is going to be an evolving landscape of all of these layer twos and sidechains kind of competing on the feature level in order to to win against the competition because it's a it's a pretty um, competitive world out there, survival of the fittest. And so everyone's trying to carve out their niche in their area. And I think adding features like identity are one such way to do that. What's your take? Unlocking and, and solving identity in ways that developers can build on that and, and build just using that identity primitive is going to unlock so many use cases. Some we already know about, but many, many more we don't know about because we haven't had that unlock yet. So many people are working on this. Polygon's working on this. Uh, Disco.xyz is working on this. Uh, and it, uh, Identity as a primitive is absolutely massive, and it's really going to be one of the things that elevates the metaverse to the next level. So many, And it, this is kind of why some people are starting to meme social summer 2022. They're seeing the writing on the wall as the infrastructure is starting to be built out yet. Uh, I think summer's a little bit early, but like social web three, it's on the horizon, and it's going to be great. Yeah, it's fascinating to me that all of these features seem to be being built on the execution layer as well. Like, mm. we'll never see an identity service on Ethereum main chain. We'll probably never see like a centralized right. Oracle service on Ethereum right. main chain mm-hmm. either, which is, in my opinion, a good thing. Yes, correct. Keeps the protocol, base level protocol, less complicated. Uh, BNB, formerly Binance Chain, <laughs> they are launching application specific side chains to reduce network chain strain. <laughs> so, this is BNB chain. <laughs> Which is a side chain. It's not, uh, it's not also side chain. launching side, it's not side chain. What's a side chain? Okay. Right? That's a, it's semant- kind of the that's a semantics thing, right? <laughs> what is a side chain, right? And I, I, I don't personally see um, BNB as kind of like competitive right. with uh, more decentralized, alter- even la- layer ones, but even mm. alternative layer ones. It's right. like, like 21 validators, all of which are like mostly owned or mm. like somehow carteled by, uh, BN- by Binance. Um, so effectively, to me, this is a sidechain. Some might call it an alternative layer one semantics. Yeah. But it's funny that they are expanding by launching other sidechains. Right. As soon as BNB chain gets congested and demand in, in too much demand, they start to become modular. So plus, yes. plus one to the modular blockchain thesis. Uh, this is what this is. Um, you know, centralized version of modular blockchains probably has a niche to fill, I guess. I I I I think I, this is less modular blockchain to me. Like modular blockchain to me is where you're you're actually like building a stack in modules. Mm. This is like a, a network of monolithic blockchains to yeah. me. You're just yeah. like stringing a, together monolithic blockchains as it's, side it's chains. A, it's a step. It's very, it's a small step on the spectrum of modularization towards the modular side. But yeah, it's like one step on a very long journey, right? Why not be a layer two? I don't know. 
you could do that too. They don't want to bend uh, the knee. They don't like people, opera. People don't like bending knees. Opera taking a giant leap into Web three. They are adding Solana, Polygon, Huge. Stark X, and others. This is Opera, the browser. It's like a low percentage market share browser. It's like you know two percent. Let's call it browser. But what I love about this is um, the other Web three friendly browser is Brave. And now we have Opera and we have Brave, and they're both competing against one another in a race to build features fastest. Where Google Chrome just sits there and is like, I have all the market share. I don't have to do anything. I don't, you know, I'm just like the incumbent here. Uh, and these two operating, these two browsers are like battling it out to be the, uh, the winner of the, the Web3 movement and the change that's happening. Yeah, that's web, thought. Web3 integrated, Web3 native browsers has got to be the way forward in the browser right? landscape. It can't just be with extensions. Uh, yeah. And so I think we are be on the very beginnings of like a new age of what a browser actually looks like. And like you said, it's just Opera and just Brave. And Opera is doing things that Brave's not doing. So like Opera, kind of like the dark horse crypto, like a dark horse browser, I guess because they were basically in last in terms of market share, they had to kind of do something, but they're right. doing the right things. So like, nice job, I, nice job. Do you know what? I always thought it would be cool for like a wallet to become big enough to go back in the other direction, mm. like go buy a browser or, a browser. or go yeah. build a browser or yeah. something like this. Right? Ooh, like MetaMask a, browser. I, that's a great brand for a browser. That'd be badass. Mm-hmm. I would love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, it's good to see. We're starting to see it. Um, also, DeFi Saver. So this is an app built on Maker. They are adding automated stop and loss and, and take profit options for Maker Vaults. What's cool here is just, you know, we don't talk about it very much, but on all of the base protocols, particularly ones that have been around for a long time like Maker, an entire application infrastructure is being built out on top of these things to make the protocols easier. I think we've got something else on Maker later in the episode, but yes. it's just yes. cool to see. Cool. Yep. Features being built into DeFi, more power for the users. You'll love to see it. Raises. Raises. Ready for raises? Raises. Some big raises this week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a layer zero raise. Yeah. $1 billion valuation. Yeah, what, Ryan, I raised a billion zero. dollars for my podcast. Did you know? <laughs> Where do you think we got so the So that's money? how you afforded the arena. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> um, okay, so this is A16Z, FTX, and Sequoia leading a $135 million round for this layer zero thing. What is layer zero? Uh, Layer Zero is a, other than the Bankless podcast, exploring the culture (laughs) behind the people behind projects rather than projects themselves, is also a blockchain interoperability network. It's like sub, it's like consider Layer Zero as in like, you know, the subterranean network between blockchains. It's kind of a semantics debate as whether it's a, that's a layer zero or just a different layer two. It's a bridge, man. It's a bridge. I think it's just a bridge. It's just a bridge. Uh, but anyways, cross-chain composability, layer zero enables developers to build decentralized applications that simply weren't possible before, says Ali, a general partner at Adresen Horowitz. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you believe in the blockchain, multi-chain, polychain interoperability world, this would be right up your alley. This makes a ton of sense. Um, I'm bullish yeah. bridges yeah. in general. Sure. I'm bullish bridges. Sure. You know, uh, in our conversation with Olaf, though, okay, which which that episode unreleased. is coming, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. unreleased, not next Monday, but the the Monday after this is mm-hmm. Olaf at, at Polychain. He actually his thesis was that um, bridges could actually become competitive with layer twos and layer ones and actually host their own applications which was kind of a novel idea to me, but maybe explains the aspirations for a $1 billion valuation because this is definitely layer two territory now. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, a $1 billion valuation. We already have a unicorn in the bridge world, which is pretty pretty crazy to see. Yep, congrats to those guys. Um, Avalanche, they just launched a $100 million creator fund with Grimes. That's Elon Musk's, uh, they still together? I think they are. I don't yeah, know. They're, they're married, right? Okay, cool. Yeah, I don't she, know. They have a kid. Yeah, they, they, named the, they named their kid Hella Weird. 
yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah exactly yeah that's that's all i remember anyway yeah. uh, grimes <laughs> is in it web it's a web3 platform uh what's interesting about this story david uh yeah so this is a, a hundred million dollar fund coming out of the avax token uh and they are just building out web3 social open op3n uh kind of in the same vein as the web3 uh social that we talked about just a second ago but also on the panel that we had a uh, hundred million dollar initiative to for creatives to build projects on avalanche as the blockchain network grows its profile with non-crypto natives um that is the story. I got some takes about the token, Ryan. You want, unless you yeah, have tell it. me about the takes. Okay. I mean, my my only first take is like Web three social is hot. Mm-hmm. This has a little bit of. Do you remember when EOS, the EOS platform, right. voice. announced yeah. Voice, mm-hmm. right? And they bought like a domain name and everything. And they invested millions of dollars. It wasn't a hundred million dollars at that time. It was less. Now we're at a hundred million dollars. But what do you think this means for uh, for the token for Avalanche? Okay, look at that next paragraph. Uh, Named the Culture Catalyst Initiative, the first of these funded projects paid out of the network's uh, native token AVAX, right? So this wasn't a raise, really. Actually, this was just a token sale of $100 million of the AVAX token to fund this initiative. Ryan, do you know the inflation rate for the Avalanche blockchain and the AVAX why token? Tell, why don't you tell me? Because that's hard. It's hard to uh, divine that. I've, I've looked in a few places. haven't yeah. been able to figure it out yet. According to Mizari, it, the AVAX token is inflating at 26% per year. And so that means that in order to sustain its current price, 26% of the value of the market cap of Avalanche needs to be turned into buying demand for AVAXs to maintain its current price. At the same time, they are selling the AVAX token to fund all these development initiatives, you know, investments, investments into the ecosystem. You know, you gotta, you gotta invest in yourself to grow out the ecosystem. But like, I'm just getting flashbacks of the 2017 Ethereum ICO mania where so many ICOs had just stockpiles and stockpiles of Ether. And it, that is the reason why Ether went from $1,400 down to $90 because so many ICOs had to sell their Ether to pay for taxes, just to sell it at all, just to give to fund their teams. Consensus had to do this to stay alive. Yeah. And so like I'm I'm seeing the inflation rate of AVAX, which if Mizari is correct, at 26.6%. And they're doing all of these raises by selling the token. Uh, and like there's a that is a lot of selling pressure, bro. Like the, yeah. how well, is that getting absorbed? That's that's the thing. I think that um people need to remember that issuance isn't free money. Yeah. It's selling pressure. Issuance yeah. is selling pressure ultimately. And at some point that can keep, you know, catch up to you. And so the thing is like, I guess that maybe less is never, not, not never do this sort of thing, but make sure right. when you do it, you gotta be you're strategic. invested, you're very strategic and you've got a return on capital story. So, um, but that is a lot of issuance. And you know, so, some people might say, well, this is the problem with Ethereum. Uh, Ethereum never does these sorts of investments. Yeah. And that's why more like centralized alternatives like Avalanche and Terra will overtake Ethereum. I don't know. I, I don't know if I buy that. Um, yeah. I guess we'll have to see what happens. I mean, they they can definitely pay developers way better than the Ethereum ecosystem has because of uh, like decisions and actions like this and also because they have just a, a ton of VC backing. Um, if you go look at the AVAX price chart, you don't need to pull it up. Like, It doesn't look like there's any well. selling pressure. Like it, it, it's a bullish looking chart, which is kind of confusing to me. Like you don't, that is a discrepancy in my mind of the chart looking kind of bullish ish, but there's so much issuance. There's so much inflation. It's insane. Yeah. We'll see. Maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe th- that kind of thing doesn't really catch up to you right. unless there's a bear market. Bear market. So it shows up in bear markets for sure. If, if we're back in bull market territory, they may have a, a long runway still. Yeah. 
Um, let's talk about this. Delphi Digital, they just led a $5 million seed round for another money market protocol called ZK Lend. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is on, I think... Starkware. Starkware? Starkware? Yep. Okay, Starkware. Mm-hmm. Cool. What's this? Oh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm assuming it's like an Aave-type uh, compound money market borrowing and lending, but a ZK on a ZK roll-up. So lower transaction fees, higher speeds, uh, the things that we all know and love. I just, there's got to be some consolidation here at yeah. some point in time. Does every single chain, every single piece of technology need its own money market? Right. Or and as, as soon as there are ZK EVMs, then like things like Aave, which have been battle-tested and hardened and have also been progressing in their own rap, roadmaps, can just deploy there too. Um, so yeah. like, lots of competition to be had. And you know what happens when there's a lot of competition? Good things happen for the users. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, okay, let's talk about this last one. This is uh, Nifty this chat. last raise. Nifty chat. Yeah, yeah, Nifty Chat. Um, I was actually in on this, uh, full disclosure, but they just raised a million dollars. And uh, Nifty Chat is kind of cool because it's it's basically like Discord and chat room meets Web3 NFTs. Mm-hmm. So you can like kind of go here, log in your NFT, and then you get like, let's say you have a CryptoPunk, right? Right. It, will pull the fact that you have a CryptoPunk and create a CryptoPunk specific chat room or like mini Discord oh, cool. for you, which is kind of neat. Um, there's another there's another uh, app that does this too called MetaLink, which mm-hmm. I also like, but it's kind of cool, right? It's going to give Discord, I think, a run for its money, which, uh, which needs to start adding some NFT features. Remember they tried to do that and then mm-hmm. backed off of it a few right. months ago? Right, yeah. So like, can I like put on my CryptoPunk hat and chat as my CryptoPunk and then like rip off my CryptoPunK mask and put on my MFR hat and then chat as a totally. different account. Is that how this works? Yeah. That's and it's, cool. the, the idea is trying to bring these communities together too. So it's like you and all the CryptoPunks right. and if I don't have a CryptoPunk, I can't get in. I'm not welcome to the chat. I'm you outside not, the party, man. You, you, nope. No CryptoPunk I don't have a CryptoPunk. do not have a CryptoPunk. Yeah. <laughs> but I do have an MFR, so <laughs> I can come chat with you there. Uh, jobs time. Jobs. This is the time of the week where David and I remind you to get a job in get crypto, job. if you haven't already, go it's, get a job in crypto. It's fun over here. It's a good time. We have a good it's, time. It's real fun. It's real fun. We're like we're buying arenas over here. Yeah. What? You How too can buy an arena. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about it. Uh, a few jobs. We're going to read them out because these are hot. A co-founder for an innovative omni-chain DeFi primitive. This is ominous. Who is the hire to be announced oh. in Paris? Oh, okay. This sounds too good to be true. Uh, wow. So go check out that job description. Uh, Masari is hi- hiring a blockchain engineer for DAOs, a software engineer for market data. Syndic is hiring an operations manager. Smart DeFi, senior product designer, senior Go Rust engineer at Syndica, senior full stack engineer at Syndica, senior software engineer, Airdrop Labs, product manager at, at uh, Nor- Nori, bankless web developer, for Bankless, a Bankless editor for Bankless as well, community manager for Bankless Academy. I could go on. We've got Uniswap jobs, uh, Uniswap Labs listings, Ethereum Foundation listings, a whole lot more. Go check out the Bankless job board. Here's the thing. For those that are this, curious, uh, this is actually how I dance in the, in the club. So you'll, you'll be able to see that at Permissionless at our party. I can't wait to see that in person. Uh, look, this job board really works too. This is uh, somebody from Smart DeFi saying, Bankless was responsible for over 75% of our core team hires mm. across all positions. It's pretty cool. It People felt like found. using cheat codes. You can't leave that part out, Ryan. It felt oh, like dude. using cheat codes. Yeah. So <laughs> awesome. just let me know that the, the talent that is listening to Bankless is significant. Uh, and if you want to tap That's into some of that talent, uh, the jobs board is a place where you can, as a talented person, post your resume with a talent collective or as an employer and post, post your job. There's a link in the show cool. notes. 
Yeah, very cool. Uh, let's keep going here, David. Okay. You ready for news time? Yeah, this is, uh, this is definitely the news of the week, other than the Bankless Arena. Big news of the week. All right, take a breath with me. Um, $600 million, probably over $600 million. That's like three stadiums. This week. It's like That's three like stadiums. Three, yeah. <laughs> the Ronin Bridge has been exploited for 173,000 ETH and 25 million USDC. The Ronin Bridge, of course, is a side chain that Axie has been building out. Responsible, I think, for a lot of Axie's growth mm-hmm. over the last 12 to 18 yeah. months mm-hmm. uh, after it launched, like cheap transactions. Um, but what happened here, David? Tell us the story. Yes. So this was not a smart contract exploit. This was not a bridge exploit of the actual bridge. What happened here was that the, this bridge was a multi-sig bridge, uh, which is relatively common. Uh, and there was a five of nine multi-sig that controls the bridge. It just so happens that these the private keys, this was basically a private key theft. So the attacker, the exploiter, found a way into the, the nodes the, that actually maintain the keys. So rather than just like having these seed, seed phrases written down somewhere, the way that this bridge maintained, I'm assuming, or at least this is in the spirit of accuracy, the details are to, to be determined, but these are like nodes in the cloud, and these clouds, these nodes, these five of nine nodes, or uh, the validator nodes for the bridge, are uh, verifying transactions, making transactions to make this bridge work, but the private keys are in the nodes, they're in the cloud, uh, and so the attacker was able they're, to they're, get- They're like in hot wallets, They're basically. hot wallets, yeah, five of them. Uh, and the attacker was able to access the cloud servers, the, the nodes the, directly, uh, and just basically get five of the nine multi-sig private keys. So basically, there, w- there was no malicious attack. There was no just like smart contract exploit. The, per- the attacker just got all of the private keys. Uh, and so then he just withdrew all of the Ether and USDC down to the main chain. Uh, and so we haven't really seen an attack like that because like it's pretty easy to secure that. Like the, the, this is kind of like one-on-one security, I think. Well, people people remember the last bridge hack, which actually wasn't that long ago, which was the the wormhole bridge hack. Mm-hmm. And what was that? Like two hundred million dollars. This yeah. is a bridge from uh, Ethereum to Solana, right? Um, something like that. And that was actually a smart contract right. code hack. Yes, that was a. Bug. This was this was not the, that. This, this was, this was a theft, multi-sig theft of private keys. This is we got your private keys. Yeah. Type mm-hmm. of hack. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think um, a lot of implications from that that we should probably uh, talk about. The first one, but, Ryan, um, pop quiz. Do layer two rollups have private keys? They do not, sir. They do not have private keys. They do have upgrade contracts, which is an asterisk. So there's that. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, this it, this is kind of a lesson, I think. Maybe we'll get to the, like, the learning lessons later, but like this is a lesson on sidechain security for the crypto ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a, a very difficult lesson to learn. But uh, let's talk about this, too. So hacker goes, steals $600 million. Um, the crazy thing about this is, like, imagine, like, you're a bank robber, mm-hmm. and you go and you steal from a bank, <laughs> but, like... What's the last thing you do? <laughs> well, like, what you're doing, everything you do with that money mm-hmm. is, like, it, it's as if you're broadcast right. on YouTube, right. live-streamed, mm-hmm. like, whatever you do. So everyone knows what you're doing with the money. We can't get to you, mm-hmm. but, like, we know we what watch. you're about to do. We can watch it. And that's what's happening. Where okay, so, we can so, actually see what this uh, hacker is doing with the $600 million. Okay, so you're a bank robber. You steal $600 million from a bank. This is What the attacker does next is he deposits all of this, I don't know if all the money, but a lot of this money into FTX. That's like a bank robber 
robbing $600 million and going to a account? different bank and depositing it. Okay. While being live streamed on security <laughs> yeah, while cameras? while being live streamed. Okay, so why did the attacker do this? Uh, it's, it's, people have come to the conclusion that this is not just some like novice, oh, I get to have this money now, I'll send it to FTX and cash it out. No, what's very likely happening is that the uh, account that it was deposited to in FTX was like purchase, right? It was somebody else's yeah. account that they got the password or email address for, so they were able to access somebody else's KYC account. Fake IDs. Fake ID, fake right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And then like maybe, I don't know what they were doing in there, like I can't imagine that they sent it outbound to a bank account because they had to have to send it to their bank account if they want the money. What is more likely happened is they sent it into FTX and then withdrew it from FTX, which made it invisible to the chain, but it made it very visible to FTX. So FTX knows where this money is. And we actually, there was a, a tweet out of Sam Bankman-Fried that uh, said, I acknowledge that this is happening. We are investigating and taking action if and where appropriate. So like they're up to something. Um, it just doesn't seem like a good strategy, though. Like, I don't know. Like, you, you go steal from a bank, and then you deposit it into another bank, mm -hmm. and the other bank knows, right. you know, has your funds for right. some period of time. Maybe it's been withdrawn, but but sort of knows all of your transaction history, can, like, freeze your account, can track this down. I don't know if this is a good way to escape with the money. And that's kind of the the flaw, I guess, if you are a black hat crypto hacker right now. It's just like... It's relative, it's not easy to go hack money in crypto, but like we see these things every week. This is just one of the biggest, but like if you're smart enough to hack, are you smart enough to get away with it too? Right. get away with the money and right. somehow withdraw it? We haven't seen many hackers complete that last circuit. No, definitely not. The other very interesting thing about this story that is just a complete curveball. Ryan, the, the Ronin sidechain was ha was exploited. This hack this hack happened on March 23rd, Wednesday, March 23rd. No yeah. one noticed until the 29th. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Six, Six days, days later, people. No one noticed when Six somebody tried to withdraw. They yeah, were like, oh, so, "I'm trying to withdraw my ETH." Right. And Right. It's failing. Yeah. Why? And so I, the ETH's not there. It's not in the bank. It's not in the uh -huh. the bridge vault anymore. Right. And so people were probably sending ETH into the chain because that was probably fine. But like getting back out, there was no there was an empty vault. Uh, six days. Six hundred million dollars went missing for six days. <laughs> <laughs> the, oh, crypto. The, the, there's a joke going around Twitter. I think Kobe was the the spawn of this joke where he said. Oh yeah, I, I noticed that the Ronin uh, sidechain got hacked. Therefore, I went and shorted Axie. But then the token pumped, and it pumped, and I got liquidated because no one noticed. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, okay. Exactly. Uh, sorry. Sorry for the laughter. That's six hundred million dollars. A lot. Of, a lot of people have lost money. Uh, Axie has uh, stated that they are going to reimburse people. I don't know how they're going to do that, but they have stated I that that is their intentions. It's always unfortunate when we see six hundred million dollars getting lost. Um, yeah, this is just that, that 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 is the reason I'm laughing though, is because I expect everyone to be reimbursed. I mean, Axie has massively deep pockets, and we've seen this before, right? With the Solana wormhole hack. True. True. Uh everyone was just reimbursed. Is this like ultimately just coming out of A16Z? Is A16Z footing the bill for this one? I don't know. Actually, I I actually think that um what'll happen is they'll get the money back from the because mm. the black hat hacker will find it's impossible to actually and so right. we'll cut right. a deal in some fashion or right it'll get frozen. I think they'll, they'll get their money back, but yeah. if not, yeah, then I suppose that comes out of somebody's treasury. Just give $580 million back and have $20 million. It's your yeah. life is going to be it's the easy. same. Yeah. Black hats. It's yeah. easy. Don't be greedy. Yeah. Okay. Congrats. <laughs> Congrats. Yeah, you, 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 you pulled it off. <laughs> give it back. Take, take, <laughs> take the $20 million or whatever number you, you can settle with. 
and then have a good life. Well, uh, some people are worried because this is not the only side chain, of course, with a bridge. There are many, right. mm-hmm. uh, one of which is Polygon. Yeah. And so this is from, oops, account muted. Uh, Chris Black. <laughs> oh, my, my, I also have him muted. <laughs> uh, by the way, Polygon is secured by a five of nine multi-sig, just like the Ronin network, mm-hmm. he says. And they've refused many, many times to answer any questions about how these keys are secured. Somebody from the Polygon team, that's a legitimate concern, yeah. okay? If this can happen to Ronin, yeah. can this happen to Polygon in the same way? Why don't you read the response, David? Yeah, this is uh, somebody who's on the Polygon team, so is inform- like yeah, has actual information about this. C-I-S-O, Chief in Security Officer or something? Yep. Something, I don't know. Uh, it says, uh, Polygon keys are secured in a very different way than Ronin. All Polygon keys are on offline hardware wallets like a ledger, not on a server connected to the internet, which is the vehicle for exploit of the Ronin sidechain. For that cold reason- Cold storage. Cold storage. Good, good, like how it should be. For that reason, <laughs> it's impossible to do a Ronin-like attack on Polygon. Uh, and the, the, this person continues on the, in the next tweet. Uh, no backup is stored digitally on a device connected to the internet. Unfortunately, there's no way for me to prove this to you, so you just have to take my word for it. So, like, obviously, the just have to take my word for it is kind of like a hotline in, in, trustless, in trustless crypto. Like, we don't want to trust people. It just needs to be the way that it is. But also, we can't have the details of the Polygon uh, security mechanism public on Twitter because then that just informs the attackers on how to do it. So it's appropriate that this is not information that's publicly known because then that is a risk vector. So in my mind, the current state of Polygon security, if it is indeed in offline cold storage wallets that like uh, perhaps not all of the multi-sig signers know the locations of the other multi-sig signers, that makes sense. Uh, there, there is, uh, as far as we can tell, the security for Polygon is grade A level security. They've done it right and they're taking it seriously. Um, yeah. It's got to be better than Ronin, but also I think there are some learning lessons here, right? And the top learning lesson for everyone listening is side chains do not inherit the security of the base chain, okay? So let, let me just repeat that for a second. Side chains do not inherit the security of the base chain. So if you move your assets from something like Ethereum to another chain, and if that's a side chain, realize that you are incurring some risk in that in that move, in that transaction. You are now in a different security paradigm than you were. And I think this this is just like, I'm very careful with what I do on side chains, right? It's like, I know some of the risks and I'm not going to be like putting my net worth on a side chain or significant amount of my net worth on a side chain at this point in time. And I think at some level, the same goes for, for layer twos. I mean, they don't have the Lindy. So just be careful where you're moving your, your money and your assets. Um, the second thing I, I think I took away from this is, an, again, a reflection that it's really, really hard for hackers to get away with chain with with funds on chain, mm-hmm. right? So, um, like in this case, I don't know that the hackers are going to be able to get away with it, and they 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 really weren't in the Wormhole cold case either. Um, and then the third thing, I don't know if this is a good lesson for us to take away, but it is a lesson that the market's taking away, is that if the chain is capitalized well enough, the pockets are deep enough, you got some of that VC money, you got a nice treasury then when something bad happens, oftentimes people get reimbursed. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Like I'm happy for the scenario, but it does set a precedent where people sort of expect to be reimbursed. And we 
tend to become more reliant on this, this trust dependency here. Some people say that's a feature, some people that it's a bug. I think it depends. I sure wouldn't want to see that on a layer one chain. I guess on a side chain, maybe that's a, that's a compromise that, uh, that you're willing to make. But I do get worried when everyone expects a bail, starts to expect a bailout. Right. There's a big enough you know, amount of money that's lost where it can't be bailed out. Right. I guess, it, I guess it's appropriate for bailouts to happen in the beginning stages of this whole bridging bridge or ecosystem. Uh, yep. As bridges get more hardened, as users get more informed, we would probably simultaneously expect uh, bailouts to happen less and less and less. But we're at the very beginning stages, so I guess bailouts are appropriate. Um, but we don't know if there's a bailout coming on this one. That is, I think that's just speculation. Um, yeah, it's a promise from Axie, yeah. but yeah, we don't know the mechanics of it. Yeah. So. Just, we'll to, have to see. just to wrap up this conversation, just some market chatter. The Ronin token, the RON token, uh, was $2.40 before the hack, and it is now currently at $1.70, $1.70 so down like 30-ish wow. percent. Not, not that crazy for how big of a loss uh, it was. The AXS token, kind of unfazed, really. It's kind of, it's mostly <laughs> wow. just down 4%, or it's up 9% in seven days. Uh, which is a little bit nuts, but it peaked at $72 and then the hack happened and now it's at like $63. Look, this is the market telling us it's not really worried about this event. Yeah, yeah. The market's saying it's going to get resolved yeah. uh, without without big losses, big incident. Yeah, that's, huh? that's, a big, that's a big hack. That's a big hack. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. Let's talk to, about some Ethereum stuff, David. And okay. I think it's time to yes. clear out some uh, misconceptions let's here. And we want to do, do a few misconceptions. The first... There's some misconceptions going on about the merge right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going through a, a, a tweet thread from uh, Trent Van Epps. But I think we're going to focus on maybe five things, five misconceptions of the merge. Uh, do you want to take the first one? Yeah, the first one is that stakers get unburnt fees. And so not all of Ether is burnt in a transaction fee. Uh, it's, and, and in proof of stake, it's about, uh, it actually doesn't change uh, versus proof of work versus proof of stake. EIP 1559 on average burns about 75% of a transaction fee. In the future, stakers will get this 30%. So unburnt fees, tips on the execution layer will be sent to stakers. That's pretty awesome. I don't, yeah. I don't know that many people know that. Post-merge, if you stake, you actually get those tips. You yes. get the transaction fees. Passive income. Um, in addition, in addition to new ether that's minted as a block reward, you also get thirty percent of all transaction fees, which in bull markets can be very significant. Absolutely. Um, the second thing we wanted to highlight: this is a misconception. A lot of people think that once they, uh, once the merge happens, that they will be able to withdraw their ETH from the staking contract. Uh-uh, can't. <laughs> not post merge. Okay, not immediately, immediately yeah. post merge. Mm -hmm. I should say. So staking an ETH right now is a one-way ticket. It still will be post-merge. You will not be able to withdraw your ETH post-merge. There will be another update that happens. I don't know. This could be three months later, six months later. Six is the uh, estimation that I've heard. Yeah. So we'll have to see how long it takes. But at that point in time, you'll be able to withdraw, but not immediately. I think there's some pros to this, which is uh, a lot of people are saying, well, post-merge, a bunch of the staked ETH is going to get sold. No, it's still going to be locked. Yep. It's going to be locked up. But also keep in mind that when you stake, that ETH is going to be locked. It's a one-way ticket. You're not going to be able to withdraw your ETH post-merge. So that's the second misconception to clear up. Yeah, the alpha here is that post-merge, there is zero net new Ether introduced into the secondary market. The block reward issuance is going to stakers, which is locked because they can't withdraw. The fees are going to stakers, which is locked because they can't withdraw. The reason why they can't withdraw is just reduce complexity uh, one step at a time. This is a very big deal to merge to proof of stake. And so we're just 
keeping it simple, doing one thing at a time, letting things sit, letting things stabilize, uh, and then merge, the withdrawals will be unlocked roughly six months later. Uh, in that time, in those that six months, staking this the yield on staking goes from like five percent to probably like fifteen percent, and the demand to stake will be three x because the yields are going to be three times higher, and so there's going to be three times more demand to stake ether, pull ether out of the secondary market to stake it, and no ability to withdraw for six months. Um, bullish, <laughs> <laughs> bullish. <laughs> uh, I think so as well. Why don't you take the the next one, number three, the yeah. third misconception. The th the merge will not reduce gas fees. I think people got this conflated when we started talking about Ethereum 2 versus Ethereum 1. And once we merge, we're at Ethereum 2. That's no longer the case. Sharding will reduce gas fees, but that's later. That is phase two. This is currently phase one, which is the merge. Um, so the merge is not going to reduce gas fees. Uh, I'll take the next one. Um, this is just a reminder. I think if you've been listening to Bankless, you probably know this, but the ETH issuance is about to drop from 4.3% in proof of work to 0.43%. That's a smaller number. It's crazy, though. It's a lot 4. smaller. 4.3% yeah. to 0.43%. This is far lower than Bitcoin, mm -hmm. like post-halvenings. It'll take It's the low, lowest of any blockchain, by, by the far. lowest of any blockchain. And that 0.43%, a significant portion of that is going to be burnt. That's where we get to ultrasound money, deflationary ETH as an asset, because if the amount of ETH burnt exceeds 4.3%, then we're in deflationary territory, negative ETH burnt uh, on the year. So think about that, 4.3% to 0.43%, that is the ETH issuance in the post-merge world. Here, you wanna do some comparisons, Ryan? The current yeah. ETH issuance rate, inflation rate is 4.3%, as you just said. Solana is a little bit above 9% in inflation rate, and Avalanche, as we said earlier, is at 26% inflation rate. Both Solana and Avalanche are proof of stake, but their much higher issuance rate comes from their uh, the, mono, the, the centralized monolithic blockchains that they have. They have so much throughput that they need to issue a ton of currency in order to secure that very high rate of block space issuance. More, the more you create block space, the, the more you have to spend on security because you have more block space to secure. Because they are very, very high throughput blockchains because they're centralized, they have to issue a ton. Ether, Ethereum is, is much, more, uh, much more limited in block space because we want to maintain decentralization at the base layer. That's how you do that. Therefore, it doesn't have to issue as much. So it's as low as 4.3%. The point though, Ryan, of why I'm doing this is that this is comparison 4.3% of Ethereum in proof of work mode in comparison to other proof of stake blockchains. And so when Ethereum joins Solana and Avalanche in proof of stake, it's going to be 0.43% inflation rate on Ether versus Solana's inflation rate of 9% versus Avalanche's inflation rate of 26%. These are, we are in different it's categories. Killer, it's, it's, it's just different killer categories. economics, man. And that's it's... not including the burn. That's not including <laughs> the burn. <laughs> Let's talk about the, the fifth misconception, and uh, why don't you do this last one? Mm. Uh, yeah, this is a good one. Running a node post-merge does not require any ETH. You can be either a staking validating node, and you can add transactions to the blockchain, or you can be a listening node, and you can uh, send your own transactions to the mempool via your own node, but you do not, in order to run your own node, you do not need to add any ETH to it. It is, it is free and accessible to anyone to run a node, uh, 
Do you, know, do you know that's not actually true, Ryan, for Avalanche? I know I'm, I'm trying to not be an ETH maxi here, but like in order to run a node on Avalanche, you have to and be a validator. You have to be a validator in order to access the mempool and see what's going on in the mempool to participate to in M- Yeah, you have to stake at Avalanche tokens, which is reminiscent to order flow if for people that own the shares of the network. It's a it's a it's concerning to me as to the the gating of that information away from the public because the public can't run their own Avalanche node. Yeah, I am also concerned about that. Uh, But this point is really important because some people say, no, well, it's going to cost thousands of dollars worth of ETH to run a node. No, it's not. Mm -hmm. It's just costs hardware and anyone can run it from a consumer machine. Uh, That's, by the way, always been a case. Anyone can run a node on Ethereum today. Just uh, go download Geth and set it up, Um, DAP node or something else. Mm -hmm. Uh, David, you know what's cool about this? These misconceptions is they're starting to fade on the institutional side. Okay, so people are starting to get it. I don't have a Bloomberg terminal or a subscription or whatever is required, but uh, there is now an analyst at Bloomberg who covers Ethereum, and he is writing some fire content about Ethereum. Uh, and there, there are a few articles that someone forwarded me this week. This is one on the how Ethereum is transitioning to a global asset. This article absolutely nails it. Uh, there's another article on how. The DCF model suggests the network asset for Ethereum, ETH, is undervalued. We just did some episodes with Ryan, Alice, and others on the DCF model for we d- Ethereum. We did our DCF model with Justin Drake over a year ago. Yes, we did and that we over like, a year ago as our well. Our conclusion was that I think Ether might be undervalued. <laughs> this is what this analyst says, too. Conservatively, Ether could be worth 6100 Well, you plug in whatever numbers in the DCF and you spit something out, but it's sure a lot higher than it is today, <laughs> depending on the, the numbers you put in. But like any obvious number, it will be higher. And then here's an entire Bloomberg article on the, the merge, how the merge will be a super catalyst. I guess all this to say is the institutions are starting to get it. And it's funny to me because we've been talking about the the value proposition, ETH is a triple point money for like probably two years, I would say, like longer than that if you go back, but on Bankless for about two years. And it's interesting to me to see kind of the lag time of like institutions mm-hmm. starting to get on board and starting to understand this these narratives. This is um, from our friends at One River Asset Management, and they they bought one of the biggest Bitcoin buys in history mm-hmm. about a year and a half ago. It's like they are uh, an institutional hedge fund who is now very crypto focused. Uh, This is what they say about Ether. Ether is being transformed into a low-risk bond asset, and it is cheap. Remember, Ethereum, the internet bond? Remember all those articles we wrote about? Remember what we were talking about? I remember. Uh, The largest institutional investors are now saying it, okay? It is increasingly clear, this is a quote, that the future of finance runs on Ethereum with ETH as a reserve asset to the ecosystem. The institutions are now repeating it. Uh, the narrative is cementing. Still an early set of institutions, but mm-hmm. it's out there now. Um, we did our job. <laughs> one of the things I've been hammering about as to one of the most underappreciated aspects of proof of stake with EIP-1559 and basically Ethereum versus Bitcoin is like Bitcoin is really hard to value. It's hard to put like numbers and models around demand for Bitcoin. Uh, it's just like, it's, do you take it on faith that people value this is really the Bitcoin investment thesis. With, with Ethereum, you have the issuance rate, you have the burn rate, you have the stake rate, uh, you have like active addresses for in DeFi, you have demand for Ether in DeFi. There's so many metrics and numbers, especially when like there's 
First off, the appropriate numbers to actually make a DCF analysis, which is very comfy zone for institutions. But the sheer number of just things to measure, metrics for Ether the asset, just is enabling institutions to be comfortable. It makes it feel like it's in their wheelhouse, which kind of is. Uh, and it's definitely one of the most bullish things about Ether. It's like you can actually reason about it with metrics and numbers rather than just like uh, ex- assuming that there's going to be sufficient demand for an asset. Yeah, they're like, oh yeah, we know bonds, we yeah. know we know equities, and we know capital assets. Mm. Oh, and this thing performs like a bond, like mm. an equity, like a capital asset. Okay, we can value that thing. And oops, when we plug it in the spreadsheet, mm-hmm. it spits out a much higher price than the price of ETH. Now that's I mean, what's going on. Look at look at that. We look at the words that they use: low risk bond asset, and it is cheap. I know. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to know. <laughs> I know. Uh, Let's keep moving, mm-hmm. though, because the merge is, is coming. There's still a lot of misconceptions about this transition from proof of stake to proof of work. And I hope Bankless listeners got a chance to tune into our episode with Lynn Alden and Justin Drake. That was kind of a debate mm-hmm. on the merits of both sides. Uh, we put together, and you wrote a post on Bankless mm-hmm. this week that dives into four misconceptions about proof of stake versus proof of work. And I think this is information that's worth getting out there. Uh, why don't we hit all four of these points, David? What's the first one? Yeah, the first one is uh, the rich do not get richer in proof of stake. This is a common critique of proof of stake is that it's a rich get richer system. And actually, it's completely the opposite. The fact that yield is baked into the asset allows everyone in the world to democratize access to the upside. So there, there is no difference in rate of return for somebody that invests $1 billion into Ether versus $1 million into Ether versus $1,000. Everyone gets the same rate of return. And it actually in proof of work, it's actually the, that is the actual rich get richer system because of how much complexity and middlemen there are between $1 of capital and proof of work getting translated into $1 worth of hash power. You got to invest in the ASICs. You got to invest in the mining facilities. You got to get the the ASICs through the supply chains. You got to have relationships with manufacturers. You got to power your facility. You have to cool your facility. And all of these things have respond to economies of scale. And that is uh, means that there's significant competition around Bitcoin miners, which Bitcoiners really like, but it is actually indoctrinating who can invest more capital into proof of work most. So that's a misconception number one. The next one is that proof of stake uh, is is like a equity money and proof of work is commodity money. These are mental models, but like in terms of actual definitions, it's not empirical. There are no empirical definitions. So I go through this and I actually make the claim that Ether has both commodity-like and equity-like characteristics and Bitcoin has mostly neither. Uh, and I explain in the article about that. So that's number two. Uh, Proof of stake does not give governance powers to stakeholders. There is a difference between on-chain governance and token vote governance and proof of stake. These are different things. There are systems that are have on-chain governance like uh, Tezos and Decred. Uh, and Tezos is proof of stake. Decred is a hybrid proof of work proof of stake. But the consensus mechanism and on-chain governance are completely different things. And Ethereum does not have on-chain governance. And lastly, Dealing with 51% attacks, how does a proof-of-work system deal with a 51% attack if the time comes? Basically, the answer is, if somebody can generate enough hash power to have 51% attack a proof-of-work network, they have enough hash power to do it infinite in forever. So if honest miners can't source enough honest hash power to overcome that 51% attack, that proof-of-work chain is dead because the attacker has enough uh, hash power to attack it into into infinity. 
the exact opposite thing is true with proof of stake, where if somebody is attacking the proof of stake network, because Ether is registered to Ethereum, unlike ASICs, Ether is actually at a specific Ethereum address. The network it can identify who is the attacking address, where is the attacking ETH coming from, and we can coordinate around a fork to do something about that, whether it's forcibly exiting them from the validator queue or slashing their ether. It's just so much easier to discover and route around an attacker in proof of stake than it is proof of work. Uh, so those are the four big misconceptions that I addressed in this article. I did my best to make this extremely digestible, so I highly encourage everyone to go read it if you are trying to get your learn on about why the hell we're doing this whole proof of stake thing in the first place. I think there is a difference between sort of an opinion on proof of stake versus proof of work and which produces a better money. I mm -hmm. think there can be some variation in opinion there. Sure. But there's also some fact that I think uh, you lay out in these misconceptions, right? It's like, mm -hmm. it's a fact that proof of stake is not more rich get richer than proof of work, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like empirically a fact that proof of work can lead to economies of scale mm -hmm. that help the rich to get richer. So I think it's important when you're looking at this to like separate the the fact versus the opinion. And uh, you know some of these misconceptions can be refuted just with like, hey, have you actually thought deeply about this? And here he, here are the facts as we lay them out. Now there are some disadvantages with, with proof of um, proof of stake versus proof of work, like weak subjectivity. There's like some more uh, deeper deeper answers to, to some of these things. But I don't think these, these misconceptions actually hold up under any scrutiny. Anyway, go take a, go take a look at that. Uh, David, let's flip to some NFT stuff. Uh, a few things happened this week. Number one is Tiffany & Company. <laughs> Apparently, they just acquired an NFT. So Tiffany & Company... Tiffany rings, diamond rings, and NFTs, I guess. <laughs> this is the same NFT that uh, uh, Budweiser bought. Like, this is one of the rocket ones where you can kind of build your own rocket, and each one has their own different brand. This seems so off-brand for Tiffany, but, you know, the, the metaverse is weird. So, all right, cool. Do you think somebody's, like, there's some consultant out there who's like, hey, I have my, uh, you know, 10 easy steps to how a corporation can en enter the NFT game and like lays out exactly the strategy for what they should buy first. Could you imagine being that consultant? Like imagine this NFT on a PowerPoint is like, all right, like Tiffany board of directors, like we're going to buy a rocket. We're going to buy this <laughs> NFT for the, the, for the podcast listeners. This is a kind of a shittily drawn, excuse my language, a poorly drawn hand drawn rocket with different components. looks like a flash game from like the late, the early thousands. Uh, and now it's part of Tiffany and company. <laughs> Yeah. Well, ne next is uh, the consultant recommends you buy a CryptoPunk or a Bored Ape. That's what you should do next. <laughs> or <Tiffany>. a stadium. <laughs> uh, Budweiser. Mm. They have beer.eth cans. Look at this, man. Oh, that's a real can? I thought that that's was Photoshop. Nah, that's a real can. Oh, I, I got to get this, one of those. I don't know where you can get these, okay? This is an NFT beer fest, so I don't think they're cranking these out of the factory. I don't think you can go to your supermarket and buy these, but they do exist. Beer.eth. King of NFTs, Budweiser, going all in with a, their .eth address, right? If you, if I saw a beer .eth uh, on a beer can in like my if, local like supermarket, I would just yeah. absolutely die. That would be way too cool. It might actually get me to drink a Budweiser. Oh my god, it says the king of <laughs> NFTs on it. Ah! I know. <laughs> That's great. That's great. great. I know. Oh, there's a GM this. badge. There's a GM badge right in the middle. Where? Right, for, yeah, right in the center. Oh, that's, that's great. great. Yeah. Just well done. Whoever's doing it well. Budweiser is just killing the NFT game. They totally are. Totally are. P putting craft beers to shame, okay? Yeah. Just crack <laughs> open a bud. Yeah. Uh, Bitcoin stuff, okay? okay? Macro strategy. 
macro strategy Ma- macro this strategy week. yeah macro strategy a 205 million dollar loan to do what to buy bitcoin for who i saw this title and i was like who is macro strategy uh, is this a typo well it turns out it's a subsidiary of MicroStrategy. <laughs> it's Michael Saylor again. He's here. Oh He's God. got a subsidiary of MicroStrategy. And when they asked him what we should name it, Michael, he said MacroStrategy. And he's using that to buy more Bitcoin, of course, dollar cost averaging in. It's the perfect name. It's the perfect name. Uh, it's Michael perfect. Saylor living up to his, his total chadness. <laughs> $205 million on a loan mm-hmm. worth of Bitcoin. Uh, I do still think that'll pay off for him. Um, let's talk about this. There was a campaign that launched this week called change the code, not the climate. You've heard Bitcoin fuels the climate crisis, but did you know a software code change could clean it up? Wow. That sounds enticing. What can I do? How can I upgrade Bitcoin and get rid of the environmental waste? Is that a way to do that? Uh, this is the campaign estimates show Bitcoin uses more electricity than all of Sweden. I mean, at a surface level, this is super damning, right? Bitcoin alone yeah. could help warm the planet by more than two degrees. I'd love to see the I, details on that one. Bitcoin is uh, resurrecting fossil fuels. A software code could change it, could fix it by 99%. Why aren't they doing it, right? Like at a surface, if you're kind of mainstream, if you're sort of a normie, you, you already don't like crypto because right. you don't own any, you've heard some bad things. Uh, and you read this, you're like, this is terrible. Right. I hate Bitcoin. Right. This is the campaign that is being pushed out. And guess who's funding it in part? Uh, Greenpeace, of course, EWG, but also Ripple, the Ripple Foundation. Oh, those bastards. <laughs> yes. Oh. <laughs> Ripple is in on it uh, hard. If anyone has ever thought that Ripple sport. has been a friend to the industry, like, think again. Okay, well, so give me your take on all of this. What do you think about this? It, okay, so when I, was, when I was reading that, I was like, wow, this is, feels like it's coming from somebody who knows something about the industry, right? Like, it, like Bitcoin Maxis would point to this and be like, because uh, it labels Ethereum, like, why, aren't, why isn't Bitcoin doing proof of stake like Ethereum is? And it's like, oh, this is like a, probably a, like, interpreted as like a narrative attack against Bitcoin by Ethereans. It turns out it's Ripple. Wow, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, it's Ripple. The, my, my, take on, my take on this is that it is... Uh, really really probably spinning a lot of narrative and it's probably way more not true than it is true for sure at the same time the rest of the world is totally ready to hear this they and this narrative this just narrative, resonates it's slammed so hard and so it's, even if it's wrong it's, it's i'm i'm conflicted on this because like if, if Bitcoin was what Bitcoiners would believe it to be, a lot of this stuff could actually become true. Like, imagine if Bitcoin was a $100 trillion network, like, and it's still proof of work. It would be consuming an absolutely insane amount of energy. Uh, and so, like, that is true. What is not true is that, like, there's any amount of evidence that Bitcoin, the network, is putting, is increasing the average global temperature. There's no evidence to that. Um, and so this is really just a narrative campaign. Oh, God. It's the just ripple, stuff like, you, it does Those goddamn bastards. God it doesn't, damn it. It doesn't, it does, look, it doesn't show like the totality of the picture. Like yeah. the, um, the, the drying industry, just like drying your clothes, right. it consumes more electricity output, right. the entire industry than Bitcoin has in right. its existence. Right. It's just right. stuff like this benchmarks. We don't really see. It's not telling the full story. Uh, it's, it, you know, it, can you just click a button and upgrade a software code to reduce Bitcoin's energy use by net? No, you can't. It's not, it's not, not that how this simple. Works. Right. It's not, Bitcoin is, 
resurrecting fossil fuels maybe it's, maybe in some places but like in others it's, it's incentivizing actual green uh usage yeah, totally. usage yeah this so is, this is ridiculous but here's the thing um i guess when you're thinking about the narrative battle that we're all fighting i'm just we just talked about proof of stake i'm very glad that crypto right. proof of stake does not have to fight right these types of battles yeah it's like, one of those things where like i i, I i'm very exhausting. frustrated with ripple for doing this but at the same time like yo bitcoiners this is your fight to fight <laughs> like good luck we you know ethereum has six more months yeah i don't know three more months i don't know we'll see three to, three fight to, three it, to six I guess. more months yeah it's mm-hmm. not even fighting it though yeah. it's just like eh, we're gonna switch okay so here, here's a, here's a great tweet out of missouri here's uh, a car- that's what i'm saying with yeah. tumble dryers look at this car- less than bitcoin yeah this, this image bitcoin. is a little fuzzy so i'll read it out carbon emissions of bitcoin compared to other industries uh for bitcoin 41 uh million tons of co2 per year or something gold industry 122 to Bitcoin's 41, global banking 130 to Bitcoin's 41, uh, tumble dryers 53 to Bitcoin's 41. So do you do you wash your clothes? Or do you wash, you know dry your clothes in a, in a dryer because you are producing more en- or consuming more energy than you Bitcoin? You don't have is. to. You yeah, can hang yeah, those clothes up. yeah. You can hang- F- aviation industry 1,982 to Bitcoin's 41. So like, what are we really being concerned about here? Mm. Yeah, I think I think there's some takes here of course but again you remember the leave britney alone memes like leave bitcoin alone (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's an element of that for sure but also Um, bitcoiners good luck nick carter which which the best which which the best for you wouldn't want that well yeah no that's that's a hard thing to defend proof of proof of work i think Mm -hmm. over the next decade for sure um but we have other battles to fight yep. in the regulatory front. And yep. I think one of the main battles that everyone in crypto should be concerned with is this attack on our bankless wallets, yeah. on non-custodial wallets. Here's the fight that Bitcoiners don't have to fight. <laughs> but they should also, yeah, well, they don't, I guess. Well, they yeah. do. They Like, Bitcoiners want their you know, private key access, of course. Uh, but yeah, I guess so. I was mainly, mainly referring to DeFi, but yeah. This is super, this is super important, okay? Uh, so last week, a Coinbase user in Canada sent me this letter, and this is an email, rather, uh, from Coinbase. Starting on April 4th, Coinbase will introduce some changes required by Canadian regulators. Specifically, when you send crypto to another financial entity or money services business, then transaction is over a hundred, or sorry, a thousand Canadian dollars, we legally require you to ask for the information about the recipient of that transaction, their name and address. Boo. This is this is like the question I have. So this is first on the menu, AML KYC. They want to know who you're sending funds to if it's over $1,000. But what's next on the menu? Just disable withdrawals to crypto wallets altogether. Right. Like they could very right. easily do this. This is a, a nexus to do this with um, with crypto banks, essentially. And my concern is that governments like the Canadian government want to trap crypto into the existing financial prison system that we have, digital financial prison system, this panopticon where they get to monitor all of the transactions and with a click of a button, they can shut them down. That is not a good system. There's not the bankless uh, decentralized finance money for the system that uh, that we are fighting for. I think some Canadian politicians, to be fair, are pushing back uh, on this. So this is one. Um, he His name is uh, Pierre Pouliev, uh, 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 I think. Come on, uh, Mr. Canada. It. Okay, come on. Uh, Pouliev, I think. This guy has a good shot, from what I've been told, at uh, becoming Canada's next leader in Canada's conservative party. I'm not sure to what extent that's true. But look at this campaign. Let's make Canada the blockchain capital of the world. Right. 
This is going to be uh, the new division in politics. Is are you pro or anti crypto? And it's going right. to be it's going to be the incumbents who are already politicians. It's going to be anti crypto, and it's going to be the newer politicians. They're going to be pro crypto. And this doesn't break down in left and right to right. me. Like so I, I heard a, uh, a progressive candidate in the U.S. wrote a fantastic um, editorial piece on why the left should embrace Web three and right. embrace crypto this week that I read too. So yeah. that's that's a counterforce. But the EU as well, yeah. they're coming down against unhosted wallets. This is just uh, breaking today, I believe. What's happening here? Yeah, the tweet says that's from uh, Patrick Hansen. The Econ and LIBE committees, I don't know what that is, uh, of the EU Parliament voted in favor of the FTR compromises DNE that cracked down on unhosted wallets. Entire regulation drafted to be voted on later today, but we'll certainly go through breakdown of the vote and more updates in this thread. Um, basically, the EU voting to, to basically control unhosted wallets, re- re- restrict withdrawals to unhosted wallets. Oh, God, un- the unhosted wallet thing, that's basically like, is your wallet custodied by an institution that has an address. They don't like that. Yeah, they don't, want they, that. They don't like un- unhosted wallets. It's it's such like a nanny state thing. It's like, oh, you need to have a wallet that is taken care of by somebody else. Like, no, I don't. I can host my own wallet. That's kind of the point of crypto. Yeah, uh, exactly. It's um, yeah, it's a terrible. So this hasn't gone through yet, but I I'm not sure the process for which this sort of thing becomes a law in the mm-hmm. EU, but it's on its way. And another example of kind of a a regulators and government officials not liking unhosted wallets and and the battle that's ahead. Uh, Patrick Hansen ends it like this. Um, This information comes straight out of the EP. I will share an official link overview of the vote here ASAP. We have lost the battle. That's this, but this is far from over. So there's still some steps in the process through which we could get something like this shut down. But you could see it, right? I mean, last week we were talking about some of this talk in the U.S. from Elizabeth Warren wanting to do similar types of uh, actions. Now we're seeing it in Canada. We're seeing it in the EU as well. Um, This is the SEC who has come up with this very expansive definition of the term exchange. And they it's very unclear what an exchange actually includes. Like, is it is it code? Is it a non-custodial wallet? Is it something like Uniswap, something in, in DeFi? The language that they're trying to put in place in the, a proposed rule in the US is very unclear. And so there is a, they've asked for comments. I think there's like maybe 20 days remaining, 30 days of comments. Uh, this is some action we can take is actually to comment against this. We'll include a link in the show notes where you could tell the SEC don't create more uncertainty for, for DeFi. But the language around what's an exchange and what's not is incredibly unclear. And I think it's also unclear by design. So yeah. I don't know. we don't know if this is more of the same kind of uh, energy of a rejection of non-custodial wallets, but it sort of feels like it. And in all of these places, I almost feel like um, you know the boat's kind of leaking and people in the crypto industry are like, oh, where's the leak? We're just trying to bail it out. We're just trying to get the water out of the of the right. boat. And we have to do this on a weekly basis. Like right. they're just kind of wearing wearing us down. There's always a something that's trying to right. slip by and get past. Yeah. They they're the number of things that they can do is probably more than we can probably patch the holes for. So the solution for this has always been to build our way out of it, uh, which is what we are doing. Germany, 50%. 
Yeah. With crypto. That's yep. how we do this. Yep. That's how we do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the story, David? In good news, MakerDAO is hooking up with traditional bank. What's that mean? Yeah, so MakerDAO is really innovating in ways that other uh, organizations uh, are not. And they're taking this very real-world approach of getting real-world assets into MakerDAO through a combination of just like LLCs and trusts to uh, custody real-world uh, property and then have that these loans be uh uh, using the MakerDAO system, loans generated against these real-world assets. No one else is doing this, and it's one of the most bullish things about MakerDAO that no one really understands. Uh, there is controversy about MakerDAO, as in like it's kind of like the banked version of DeFi, but I would contend that it's actually quite decentralized in the model that they are doing this. Uh, but you know, there is so much value out in the real world, and the only organization that is going after that to put that into TVL inside of inside of contracts is Maker. So you go to like something like DeFi Llama, and you look at like Aave, it's got Ether and Uni tokens and Link tokens inside of its its balance sheets. Only Maker has real world property, real world real estate inside of its vaults with a die back, backed die backing it or no back, backing die. Uh, yeah. and so like it is, it's, it's in a league of its own and maker is in my mind, one of the most underappreciated things in DeFi. This is kind of uh, I think your words are like, it's a backend for banks, mm-hmm. right? And what's cool about this is, um, this, this small bank based in the suburbs of Philadelphia. It's a 151-year-old community bank. It's not one of the big ones, not like a, a Wells Fargo or an HSBC. It's just a, you're kind of a community bank, local community bank. They are trying to put $500 million in assets inside of Maker so you could lend and borrow against that, and that would be collateral forms mm-hmm. of basis for DAI. So it's creating some innovation for some of these, you know, credit unions and banks that are are much smaller, and it's sort of a bridge for these banks to DeFi, which is uh, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm I'm I think this is a, a counterforce against all of the regulatory scrutiny and, and pressure. Is just like, hey, mm-hmm. look at the value that we can drive, the efficiency we can bring to our financial markets. These small banks are able to use these DeFi protocols and um, provide benefits to the world. And this is in stark contrast to like the algorithmic stable coins of the world, which are kind of backed by a fractional reserve, backed by nothing to some uh, some portion of them or aren't fully fully backed. Like this is a direct, in my mind, the equal and opposite force for that, where it's backed by extremely real things. And that $50 million loan that this HBV bank is asking for, that there's going to be something, there's like going to be a steep fee with that. Like the real, the risk of the real world assets is, is going to come with a MakerDAO stability fee and uh, TBD on what that number is. But that's $50 million, which the MKR uh, token is going to get burned as a function of that stability fee. There's going to be some sort of interest rate on $500 million. And it's going to go to burning MKR. Um, yeah, it's kind of cool. I'm just excited that we get to see all these experiments yeah, play out, right? Totally. As I've long said with Maker. And so we will be covering all of this and more in a live stream happening today, Friday, for the listener. Uh, MakerDAO, like I've said, I think is one of the most underappreciated things uh, because of the existence of the centralized foundation of MakerDAO. They haven't been able to market themselves in the way that other organizations have. So we're giving three DAO members a chance to give the most bullish case for MakerDAO and MKR that is happening as a live stream, 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 uh, p.m. Eastern Time today, Friday, uh, as you are listening to this. So if you want to hear the case as to why MakerDAO is so fundamentally bullish, uh, we're going to hear it from three DAO community members who are bullish MKR. I think you should ask him if Doquan is going to kill Dai. I think I will.
<laughs> guys we will be back with the races of the week but before we do we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible all right guys we are back with the takes of the week this is uh from someone on the institutional side mike mcglon he says what why don't you read this out david yeah uh, demand is increasing supply is declining and ethereum's position at the epicenter of the digi digitization of finance and money so just further price appreciation ethereum the denominator for NFTs and the top platform for tokenization is becoming the collateral of the internet. This is a good take. This is nothing new to Bankless listeners. But the cool thing about this is this is coming from TradFi. That's why we're talking about this. This is a TradFi guy, Mike McGlone, uh, who's at Bloomberg. 46,000 followers on Twitter. Probably none of those followers are the same followers that we have on crypto Twitter. Those are brand new followers. And we got TradFi people speaking bankless language about Ether. People are waking up. TradFi is waking up. Bankless quoting Bloomberg quoting Bankless is what exactly this looks right. like to me. Uh -huh. um, let's uh, talk about this. This is a Reddit thread that I ran into this week, and something mm -hmm. about it resonated for me. Um, so it was this, or at least caught my attention. Uh, yes, I am in it for the money. I don't care what people think. Cryptocurrency from the perspective of a male in his 30s. That is the title of the post. The poster goes on to describe the conditions today. There's no wage growth. No prospects in many countries, constant financial crisis that keep hitting and hitting us from all sides. Now inflation is going to melt our savings. That's if we're lucky enough to have savings in the first place. Education system that's a joke in most countries, crippling debts, high cost of living, rents going up and up and up and so on. Crypto for a lot of us is the only way out, the only way to be able to afford a house or a flat in the future. So yeah, you bet I'm in it for the money and I don't give a damn what people think. Priority number one for me is to provide for my family. What do you think about this? I'm in it for the money, 100%. That's why I'm in crypto. It's because there's no better way to get money mm -hmm. for someone who's like early in their life. Like all of the other opportunities have been already extracted. What do you think about this take? Oh God, I, I could talk about this for hours. He talks about so many things and I'll just reiterate them. Uh, no job prospects, constant financial crises, new inflation, melting savings, crippling debts, high cost of livings, rents going up. So yeah, he needs to be about the money, but the system that is creating all of these things is a result of the centralized captured financial system that we are leaving. And the reason why crypto works is because why crypto number is going to go up and why this guy is going to make money is because crypto is fixing all of those problems. One of those problems is not having any money. One of the best use cases of crypto, Ryan, is number go up. Uh, and so that is the first thing that solves so many people's lives with crypto. Uh, one of the, the number go up is the most freeing thing possible. And so like being in it for the money is the bootloader to talk about everything else about crypto. Crypto is not here to make you rich. It's here to set you free. But in order to be free, it really, really helps to be rich. Uh, and so that is like the first step. Uh, and so once this guy finally gets rich off of crypto, he's going to start to realize that the, the and this is what Kevin Owaki talks about with regenerative crypto economics. The cool, the reason why crypto works is because we're all in it for the money. And these, it's instead of the old banking system, the old government system, the old institutions capturing us, everyone being here in it for the money is actually enabling for these systems to work. 
Bitcoin is secure because people are greedy and they need to they need to mine Bitcoin. Ethereum works because people are greedy and they want to stake as much ether as possible. Uh, the the systems, these democratized systems, where everyone wants to be greedy and for number to go up, is how this industry is powered. There's why there's energy in DAOs. There's why there's energy in Ethereum. There's why there's energy in behind the Uniswap DAO. Uh, this this is why crypto works, and so this is always the first step in people's journey into into getting into crypto. First, you're here for the money, then you get the money, and then you understand the values behind how this industry is powered. We got to get you wealthy before we get you healthy. Oh, That's uh, God. Why did I say I, all of that? <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, it's like this is the first step to freedom, right? Mm-hmm. You said we said it before that crypto is a journey towards freedom and you can't have financial freedom unless you have some level of financial independence. Yeah. But the thing is like, I, I think the important thing to remember is like sometimes, um, you know, we've said it before, decentralization is kind of a luxury for the wealthy, right? It's mm-hmm. like, I think decentralization hopefully becomes more important to people over time. But at first, like the way you got into crypto, the way I got into crypto, it was very much about like, how is this an opportunity to achieve some level of financial freedom? And it's totally fine if you're in it for the money, at least at first. Just don't stop yes. when you have the money, right? right. Keep then going. be in it for everyone else. Lend a hand downward. Don't pull up the ladder. Help other people. Decentralization is a public good for everyone that keeps this uh, system uh, free of corruption and mm-hmm. cancer and corrosion. And that's definitely what we need. So it's almost like, David, my expectations are higher for people who know better and have been in this industry yeah. for a long time. And a lot of when we get like a little bit maybe preachy on decentralization, mm-hmm. it's not talking to people who haven't like made it in crypto yet and are just yeah. trying to get wealthy. It's talking to people who are here, mm-hmm. already wealthy and like know better. Mm-hmm. Know that if we don't create systems that are sustainable in the future, there's no future for this industry and it won't do the good capital G that we think it can. Uh, the, the way that you said that where like you're kicking the ladder out uh, as you go, that's, that's a really important point. And that's why after you get yours, it's important to reach your hand down and pull someone else up with you. And a way to do that is to promote decentralization because that is how these systems are going to generate wealth for our kids and our kids' kids. So this guy needs to focus on getting as much money as possible because like he said, his number one concern is providing for his family. Once he has done that, he can consider, has the luxury to consider more things and as, and going from uh, number going up on Bitcoin and Ether because these assets are decentralized to turning into promoting centralized systems is akin to getting yours and then shutting the door behind you. So that's why once you get yours, you got to promote values. There you go. Uh, how many jobs you have in crypto? This is a great tweet. <laughs> I, actually, I love this tweet. Um, the three in Web3 stands for three full-time jobs. <laughs> That's the tweet. Hey, when you think about that, how many jobs do you have? When you can work for 50 DAOs, there is yeah. no limit as to what you can do. And sometimes when you work for multiple DAOs, you can do work that is doing work for multiple DAOs at once. Uh, really blend, blurring the lines between what's a job and what's not a job. Yeah, we tell you to get a job in crypto. We're not telling you to be less busy. I mean, yeah. you will be more busy <laughs> yeah. when you get a job in crypto. That's a good point. Remember that. That's a good point. Um, all right. Proof of stake will go down in history as one of the most democratizing forces of power that has ever been invented. I feel like I Great read quote. that from someone this week. Great quote. Uh, David, whoever, that's yours. Whoever said that is a genius. <laughs> Just complete genius. What's, uh, <laughs> what did that, that genius mean by this quote? Yeah, Ryan, you, earlier you tweeted out this week and you flashed on the screen, what is, what is the entire point of crypto? What is the point of crypto? And I said, pushing power to the margins. It's what we were just talking about with decentralization. 
the way that crypto works is over the long term, the structural balance of crypto is stable so that future generations do not feel disenfranchised. And the way that we do that is we push power into the individual who are always at the margins. You've got the institutions at the center. You've got the individuals at the, at the margins. Crypto is here to put power at the margins. David, I think uh, we're going to skip what we're excited about this week because I know we're it's both obvious. excited about the same thing. Yeah, I know. It's Super like obvious. Yeah. Uh, to the having, bankless arena. I've always wanted my name on an arena, um, but I think I'll settle for Bankless's name on an arena. <laughs> it's way better. It's man. way better. Way better. Yeah. Uh, so let's just jump to the meme of the week. And there was a lot of meme fodder this week that we could mm-hmm. get into, uh, but this is the one we this chose. This is the one. Yeah. Because this is the iconic Will Smith slap Chris Rock mm-hmm. week that kind of shook the world. I uh, I woke up to this on Monday and I was like, wait, what happened? <laughs> it was crazy. Can mm-hmm. you believe that happened, first mm-hmm. of all? Yeah, no, that, that was a surprise. That was a surprise. It was a, a little bit refreshing. Here's some just like good old classic Hollywood drama. You Slapstick. Know, don't don't <laughs> promote violence, but like if I have to choose between the drama of the week being Will Smith slapping Kevin Rose and Russia invading Ukraine, I'll go with <laughs> Wait, wait, Will Smith slapping Kevin Rose? Oh, excuse me. Sorry, Kevin Rose. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the guy? Who's the guy that got slapped? Chris Rock. Chris Rock. I don't know why I said yeah. Kevin Rose. That's uh, funny. Uh, <laughs> has nothing to do with Kevin Rose. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, like uh, a little bit more lighthearted of, you know, you know, drama in the news. It's not heavy. It's Anyways, not like this meme is of Bitcoin slapping the shit out of the bear. Bear market's <laughs> over. So that's why this meme of the week. And uh, Ryan, you have a fantastic caption. I'm going to swear here. So cover your cover your kids ears. Keep my coin out of your fucking mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you said that. At the uh, Oscars, man. That's, that's <laughs> hilarious. Um, guys, that's it for that's the weekly it. roll-up. Mm-hmm. I hope you enjoyed. We're going to get to the moment of zen. Stumpy, you got to stick around for it. But of course, got to end with our disclaimers. As usual, none of this has been financial advice. Bitcoin, ETH, and DeFi, they're all risky. You could lose what you put in. But we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Yo, hey, guys. Uh, you guys fuck with NFTs? Hey, what's up, man? Uh, yeah, we're building right now. We're really just bridging the gap between Web 2 and Web 3. Oh, I'm building. We're really just bridging the gap between Web 2 and Web 3. We're building. Just hanging out with my boys over here. They're, they're speaking. Uh, I'm not speaking because, you know, I'm just busy uh, building.